Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. His name was Kyle. Kyle was, uh, uh, he played offense guard for me and linebacker and uh, just a really neat kid and uh, worked his tail off to, uh, to get ready to go to college, smart kid, um, worked so-so in the weight room, did enough to get ready for where he wanted to go to college, that's for certain, and uh, he was uh, accepted into the United States Air Force Academy after graduation. We couldn't be more proud of him, man. We, we threw a party when we found out that happened. What a prestigious appointment, and what an opportunity to, uh, to go and receive some of the best leadership training literally on the face of this earth. And so there he was, he takes off, and he's never been a small kid. He's about six foot two, and I don't know, he was a little over 200 pounds, 210 pounds at the time, and not really small, but not huge. He was just a neat kid. So he heads off, and it was about two years later, so he's just finished up his sophomore year. We had this uh, project we were doing that actually his dad, who still had a daughter in the school, was helping us do. There was this company that's donating all sorts of all sorts of supplies to our school. And so we were over there with some football players, some of my younger football players who hadn't quite gotten that strong. And here I am humping bookcases by myself going, man, I wish I had a big dude around here. And then all of a sudden through the door, this massive, massive man walks in. And I'm like, I don't know who this guy is, but I will pay him. Just help me. And I looked, and I looked a little closer, and I was like, Kyle? And he's like, yeah, coach, how you doing? Heard you were here and needed some help. Kyle? He's like, yeah. I'm like, dude, you are, you are a man. Like, you left here a boy, and two years later, you are a man. I go, how much you weigh? He's like, oh, coach, I'm, I'm pushing about 240, 250. And I'm like, what happened to you, dude? They feed you pretty well. He's like, coach, had to do a lot of work, had to do this, had to do that. And it was really, really amazing. And then there was this total physical transformation. And then I noticed something different about him. He was always a, a respectful young man. But, man, he was looking at me dead center in the eyes every time we talked. I'm like, you're scaring me a little bit, son. And then we shook hands, and it was going to break my grip. And he, he just stood there until I was done shaking. I'm like, okay, I'm done shaking. And, and, then, and then everything, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. And then he was humping. I mean, he was saying, is there anything else we could do? And during that summer that he was home, he was everywhere around our church. He was everywhere around the school. He was going over and helping different people. He had absolutely changed and transformed in those two years. Absolutely. From his countenance to his demeanor to, to his attitude, I mean, to his, his respect of others, everything had just changed. When we as followers of Christ, who are in the most amazing leadership transformation academy ever known for the history of man, after we have said yes to Jesus Christ and we've gone into training, is there a noticeable difference? When we walk into a place, is there a noticeable difference? When we interact with somebody from before the days, is there a noticeable difference? Even if it wasn't before the days, when we interact with somebody we haven't seen for a couple years, is there a noticeable difference? 
Now, unlike Kyle, who walked in and I saw a physical difference, that may not be seen by most people uh, to the point of this story. <laughs> I was at a church and I was being introduced and they were getting ready to, to vote on me to come as, as one of their pastors. And, <laughs> and all of a sudden after the service, this guy comes up to me just, and he's moving. And I'm like, uh-oh. I actually, like, you know, did a little bit of a stance. Like, I don't know what this guy's about to do. <laughs> like, why is he moving so quickly? And he's coming right at me. And he sticks out his hand. And after being startled, I'm like, yes. Uh, he goes, Gianosa? Like, Tim Gianosa? Brother John Gianosa? Gianosa Brothers? I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I have a brother John. And he's like, Dean. Dean Pedro. My memory's just racing. He goes, McDonald's. What McDonald's? He goes, McDonald's, San Jose. We worked there together. I'm like, oh, Dean, how you doing, man? He's like, you are not a pastor. I'm like, I am. He goes, I didn't even know you were a Christian. I'm like, bro, when we knew each other, I was not. And he's like, so you're different. I'm like, you're a Christian? He's like, yeah. I go, so you're different. Just seeing one another, we didn't know. But we spent the next seven years together in this church, and we knew. We had changed. There was a difference. We had been changed by this amazing relationship in Jesus Christ. This amazing relationship with Christ where no longer did we look exactly the same as we did before. You see, in Christ, united in Christ, we've been talking about the fact that we were raised from the dead. We're talking about that we moved from the dead to the living. We've been talking about the fact that God gave us his amazing word to teach us and to show us. And, that in, and bringing us from the dead to the living, he adopted us as his sons and daughters. And adopting us as his sons and daughters, he brought us into his family. He gave us access to his entire kingdom. And then he indwelt us with the Holy Spirit so that we could grow and learn and change and be transformed. And what that's going to bring about, it's going to bring about a unity, which Paul's been talking about in chapter 4. That there's going to be a unity of believers because we're all focused on the same thing. We're all running after the same goal. What is it? To know Christ and be like him. And we're all after that. We've all been brought from death to life. We all have the same story. It's got, a, it's got some different pieces and parts to it. But that part of the story is exactly the same. We were dead and he brought us back to life. That part is the same. We did nothing to earn it or deserve it. And yet he gave it to us and indwelled us with the Holy Spirit that we would continue to live with him for all eternity. It's amazing news. And remember that we're in chapter 4, and chapter 4 starts to talk about how do we live this out? All of that being true, and that it's going to bring about a unity that the world has never seen before. And that unity is going to cause people to want to know Christ because they want peace in their life, and they want peace in the midst of their life. And it's going to cause them to ask a ton of questions. And it is going to be something that as we offer mercy and grace to others, that people are going to give their lives to Christ and be awoken. But now he's getting to a couple other things. He goes, now that you know all this is true, now that you know that the Holy Spirit dwells within you, now that you know that you're going to have a different life, let's continue to make our way into me telling you what that new life is. And let me compare and contrast it with the life before, with the dead life you used to have. Let me share 
what that's going to be. And all throughout the rest of chapter 4, there's a comparing and a contrasting. This is old. This is new. This is old. This is new. We used to. We don't. We could, but we're not. And we keep going. And he says, look, this wasn't for no reason. I saved you to be with me and to transform you and to give you a new life, not that you would continue to live in your old life. The old life is for the dead, dressed in the death cloth of the grave. You are now living in the newness of Christ. Join me in, ch- in verse, chapter 4, verse 17 as we start. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Let me pause for just a quick second. He's going back and letting us know, this is from God. This I must insist on because this is why you were saved. This is why you were given new life. This is why. And then he says, I'm going to insist on it, meaning not only is this from the Lord, but this is what we will do. This is who we will be. And I'm insisting on it. No longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him. I would underline that in the Bible. I would circle that. I would star it, whatever you got to do. But while that's the way the old lives, that is not for you. It's not for you, followers of Jesus Christ. It's not for you, redeemed and adopted. That's not the life that we live. It says, that is not how you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There should be a difference. People should see it. We should see it. Those closest to us should see it. And those who haven't seen us in a long time should see it and experience it. For there's an old way of living, the way of the dead. And there's a new way of living, the way of life in Christ. And we are literally to take the old off, the grave clothes. Take them off. But it's a daily and it's a moment-by-moment thing we do. We take it off and we put on the new. He said, yeah, but hasn't, hasn't God done everything? Hasn't, hasn't God done that for us? Absolutely. Absolutely. God has given us new life. God has awakened us. God has given us his Holy Spirit that dwells within us. God has given us faith to understand. He has saved us by no righteousness of our own. He has loved us, not because we did something first. It is all because of him. But then he says, now walk with me. Now live with me. Now don't go back to the dead. Don't go there. Paul was stressing that believers must abandon what had been their former way of life. Not living any longer as the culture around them who were pagans and not Christians. Remember, it was written to Gentiles who had become Christians. 
It was written in the midst of, uh, of a Roman providence. It was written to many churches in that providence. And he was saying, look, you came from this desperate place. You came from this wicked place. The whole surrounding that you lived within was, was brutal. It was brutal. And it was, had nothing to do with living a righteous, holy life. It had everything to do, everything to do with living an ungodly, sensual, lustful life. And that's not who we're to be. That's not the people we're to be. It's not optional. We're going to insist on it. We're going to be people of mercy and grace, people of unity. We're going to be people of virtue and not vice. And that's really where we're going for the rest of Ephesians 4. How is it that we take off our vices and put on our virtue? That is a Christ likeness. First thing you do is you got to take off the old. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. We talked about that. We talked about the corruption of the culture all around us. We talked about the corruption within our own hearts and our deceitful desires. We talked about the fact that we were born with a sinful nature. And we talked about how Christ overcame all that. But there was literally an arrogance, I mean, an ignorance that we had at that time. And, and how is what the Gentiles lived? They lived in the futility of their thinking. And that was referring to the natural tendency of human beings to employ intellectual pride, rationalism, or excuses. Their thinking was futile because their lives were being wasted on worthless, worthless objects, untrue teaching, and immoral behavior. The results of this futile way of thinking are described in ignorance, are described in sensual living and depravity. They're described in this passage. And that is used to be what we ran after. That's all we knew. We ran after it. And we would see people around us, right, who were Christians. We would, we would know people around us that are Christians. Maybe we'd even hear different parts of the word of God. But it was like it didn't matter to us. Because the Lord hadn't awoken us yet. He hadn't given us faith to understand or to believe. And we were just ignorant to a different way of living. All we knew was the, what we had. All we knew was the way we were living. And it was leading us further and further down the road of death. We're not saying this has this ignorance has anything to do with education or not education. It doesn't have anything to do with knowledge or not knowledge. It has everything to do with the Lord God himself. It has everything to do with that we did not know what righteousness was or holiness was. Even though maybe we would hear the words or see the example, we had no understanding. We had no way to process what that was all about. Until the Lord began to awaken us and give us faith to understand. And as he did, we no longer live that way. We no longer live in ignorance. We now have the knowledge of what holiness is and what righteousness is. We now know what it means to love our brothers the way Christ has loved us. We now know what it means to offer mercy and to offer grace, which means we don't withhold it. We now know what it means to have forgiveness showered upon us so we don't withhold it against anyone else. It used to be that it wasn't just an eye for an eye. It's, I'm going to beat you down so you can never hurt me again. And yet, our Lord God didn't do that to us. And so we no longer do that to others. There's this transformation that happens because now we are awakened to what holiness and righteousness Righteousness is. We're no longer ignorant of that life. A callousness. There was also a callousness, right? Not only was there an ignorance that we didn't know how to understand what we were seeing, we didn't know how to process it, we didn't know how to make choices and decisions that were holy and righteous as opposed to not holy and righteous. 
there was a callousness. We had lost sensitivity to that which was good and right. We had lost sensitivity to anything but what I felt. We had lost sensitivity to anything except for what I wanted, and I'm going to go after what I want. We had lost sensitivity to what was good and just. We didn't have a sensitivity. That's a really important one for us now, too. Because I don't know about you. I don't know what you've done different in your life or different roles or work, but um, I was never a laborer, unfortunately, because I think that would have been a fun thing to do. I really do love working with my hands, but I spent a lot of time training for sports as an athlete and gyms and different places. And I still to this day have calluses across the inside of my palm. To this day, I have calluses from the time I spent in a gym training my body and doing different things. And those calluses built up to a point that I couldn't even feel the bar anymore. Those calluses built up to a point that it didn't matter. I, I, I couldn't feel anything. And so I could just grip and hold these different bars with these different weights and train and just took away all the sensitivity so it didn't hurt anymore. Our hearts became like that. We would hurt another and we really wouldn't hurt anymore. We would take something away from another and we really wouldn't hurt anymore. We would steal and rob and kill from the inside out and it really wouldn't hurt us anymore. We were callous to it. As long as it got me where I was trying to go, then it was okay. And we're never supposed to live a callous life. My responses and my reactions, if it affects you, if it hurts you, it's supposed to hurt me. It's supposed to make it, there's supposed to be a change and a difference in my life that I care greatly about you and I care greatly if anything in your life is being affected or hurt by what I'm doing. I care greatly that I'm kicking the legs out from underneath your life. I care greatly that it's my agenda and not yours. I care greatly that, you see, I care greatly because I care about the things God cares about. I'm no longer to live callously as if I have no sensitivity. I have great sensitivity to how God leads, and I have great sensitivity now to how it affects other people. God could be talking to me, and I wouldn't know if it was a bad burrito or God. God could be talking to me, and I wouldn't know if it was my own consciousness or, or him, because I was callous to it. I had shunned him for so long in my life, I was callous to anything he wanted to say to me. We don't live that way anymore. That's not how we live. We take off the old. We don't allow ourselves to be callous. We were also depraved. We were living in darkness, indulging in our sins and our sinfulness. If it felt good, we did it. And we went deeper and deeper. Do you remember those things? Maybe it was a drink. Maybe it was a drug. Maybe it was a relationship. Whatever would ease our pain. Maybe it was a series of thoughts. Maybe it was gossip. Whatever it was. Anything that would ease our pain. Anything that would give us what we thought was purpose or give us what we thought was freedom or give us whatever it was. We just ran further and further after that depravity. We didn't care if it was good or bad or anything. We ran further because our desires wanted it and all we wanted to do was satisfy our desires. Right? So we had an ignorance towards God and who he really was and what he was doing. We had an insensitivity to his work and how it affected other people and how our lives affected other people. Insensitivity. We were callous to it. And we were depraved. All we wanted was more of what we wanted. That's all we wanted. That's what we're to take off. But what are we to put on? There's supposed to be this new thing that we put on. We're taking off the old. We're taking off the crummy. What's this new thing? 
in verses 23 to 24. It says, to be made new in your attitudes of your mind, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's the point. If we haven't emphasized that enough, then I just want to emphasize it right now. Let's do away with every illustration, every story. Let's just get it down to what's most important. We were saved by God's grace. We were saved by his work. We were made sons and daughters by what he did. And what should be the result of that? What should be the result of just simply receiving his love and grace and mercy? That we become a new creation. And we look like Jesus Christ in righteousness and holiness. We look, live, talk, and sound like Jesus Christ in righteousness and holiness. That's what we're to go after. That's why we were saved. Saved out of his love, no doubt. Saved for what? To be righteous and holy people. That we would look, act, respond, think, talk like Jesus. Holiness and righteousness. Well, how do we get there? How do we put on this new clothing of holiness and righteousness? Well, the first of all, it's a collaborative effort. Yes, it's true. God calls us to him. Absolutely true. And it is God that does the work in us to transform us. It is absolutely true. He has to awaken us to all of his truth. He has to teach us all of his truths. He has to help us to know, and he does as we're walking in one relationship to another, one situation to another. He's talking to our hearts, and he's talking to our soul, and he's talking through the word of God, and he's helping us to know that's an unrighteous act. That's an unholy act. That's of the old nature. Here's the new nature, Tim. Here's how you're going to respond to one another. Now, that's all true. That's all true. But it's collaborative. He teaches us we have to learn. I had this thing where I used to say I couldn't learn math. No, seriously. I sat through three years of math in high school. And finally, it was the second, it was just after the first semester of my junior year. And I had, a, I had an F in my geometry class. Everybody else was in trig or whatever, and I'm still sitting in geometry. And my coach came to me and he said, Tim, you're not going to be eligible if you don't pass this class. I'm like, coach, I don't know anything about math. I can't figure this out. He goes, do you study? Uh, no. Tim, I'm, I, pulled your, your, I pulled your attendance record. You don't even go to class. I'm like, well, it's right before lunch, coach. You have a little extra time to eat. And I hate math. So my coach did something that I don't know if he should have or not. And look now, back, and he probably shouldn't have. He went ahead and just pulled me out of the class. He goes, all right, you're going to be my TA. <laughs> I can do that. And that's how I passed. I became his TA. Well, then I get to college, and strangely enough, you still got to pass math classes in college. So I go to uh, college-level algebra. And I'm like, I think I passed an algebra class once. So I start taking my algebra class, and guess what? The same thing happens. I don't go to class. I don't study. But this is an amazing professor. And when I'm in there, I'm like, you are really holding my attention. A's and B's and Pluses, I mean, you got pluses and negatives and, you know, little twos and threes all over the place. That's kind of fun. All right. I put them together. I find out this is an equation and this is that and parentheses mean this. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. And I go home and I don't study anything. I don't ever practice it. And I get there for the final and I'm thinking, this professor was awesome. 
And I go and I sit down and I fail the class. I'm embarrassed to say this. Three times I failed the class. Three times. And then strangely enough, I petitioned uh, a different college I was at. And I'm like, look, man, I just want to get out of college. They're like, you need a statistics class to get out of college. I'm like, isn't that like well beyond algebra? They're like, yeah. And you have failed all these algebra classes. I'm like, look, I won't fail. Just, just put me in the class. They're like, no. I'm like, put me in the class. It's my money. So they did it. They put me in the class. I have no idea. Put me in the class. And I got to be in the class. What? Shocking. I actually studied. I went home every night and for four hours. I did my work. And my accountant brainiac wife was teaching me how to do statistics while I was at home. And I kept studying. And I kept doing it. And I kept doing it. And I, kept, and I was like, wow. This is actually pretty okay. I know a little bit about math. Look, that's the collaborative process we're talking about. It's a collaborative thing. God shows us. God teaches us. God opens up the word to us. God convicts our hearts. But we got to want to learn. We got to want to dive in. We got to want to take off the new, but more importantly, we got to want to put, I mean, take off the old, but we got to want to put on the new. It's a work. It's an action. It's our part of this whole process. It's collaborative. In Philippians 2, 12 through 13, it says this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, this is Paul talking, continue to work out your salvation. Notice that word work. Continue to work out. What's the work? Continue to learn how to live like Christ. Continue to learn how to live in this newness. Continue to learn how to live holy and righteous lives like the son or daughter of the king that you are. Right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Remember all the way back to Ephesians 2? God has good works for us to do. God has things he wants us to do. But he wants us to do it with our new robe on. He wants us to do it with the newness on. He wants us to do it living a holy and righteous life. But we have to be willing to engage. We have to be willing to learn. Listen, on July 3rd, 1992, something pretty special happened in my life. I got married. And on that day, we said I do. We walked out onto the beach. I was wearing shorts and a tucked-in shirt. One of the first times I ever did that. And uh, walked down the beach, and my wife, she had a sundress on. And uh, our family asked the uh, people playing volleyball on Carmel's Beach to stop for a moment. And they stopped, and we got married. Oh, it was a great day. And then, that was July 3rd, 1992, and on July 4th, 1992, I was the best husband in the world. No, really, I mean, I'm done. I got married. Crazy. Because I wanted to be the best husband, so I was. Because I was really excited that this woman said yes, which she was crazy for doing that in the first place. And so, now it's done. No, not at all. For the last 26 years, my wife has been training me. She has been taking me to school for 26 straight years teaching me what it means to be a good husband, teaching me what it means to be the husband that she needs, teaching me to be the husband that would ultimately be a father to her kids. And she taught me and coached me and showed me what this new life that I was in was supposed to mean. But I had to want to learn. So I sat with other men. I read books. I went to conferences. I, I, I went to seminars. I listened to stuff on podcasts. I read scripture endlessly about what does it mean to be a husband because I really wanted to be good at it. You see, it's a collaborative process. God will hold nothing back from you because he wants you to be holy and righteous. 
But do you want to learn? Do you want to know what the newness looks like? Do you want that new attire, if you will? Are you ready to take the old off? Take it off in all the crazy ways we used to think and put on holiness and righteousness, meaning we learn a new way to think and a new way to live. So, but it takes more than just learning. It takes learning and doing. Listen to what James 2, 14 through 18 says. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Now, this is all after we've received the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. This is all after we've been made part of the family. We have a faith that's alive and growing. The newness is us doing. Because you see, we can do all sorts of things and we need to. We can do all sorts of things to learn and we need to. We can be in the word every day and we need to be in the word every day. But we can, we can have a specific time, place, and plan to be in the word every day and we need to do that. We can take our sermon notes and we can take our devotions that we've been giving you and now they're online for you that you can go do them and we can study further what was, what was talked about. We can do that and we can grow. Those are great. Those are great things. Uh, Rod Woods, he, uh, he pulled out when we started Ephesians, he pulled out a, uh, a study on, the, on, on the, the, the area of Ephesus and tried to learn more. Noel Brown sends me study on every passage that we do on Sunday mornings. He studies more and more for himself. We can do so much to study, and it's good for us. We can be a part of quarterly classes that we offer here or that are offered other places, like the Six Habits or the different books of the Bible or biblical parenting or the life of Paul. And then we can also be involved in life groups, life groups that are starting out and just starting to learn about Jesus, life groups that are doing deeper studies. We can be part of all those things learning. But if we don't do, if we don't do, then what good is the learning? Here's what good it is. According to, according to Paul, he says in 1 Corinthians 8, now about food sacrificed to, to, to idols. So what he's saying is I've taught you. I've given you some information here. I've taught you some knowledge. And we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, puffs up while love builds up. See, love is always an action. It's never knowledge. It's always an action. And what he's saying is you can gain all sorts of knowledge about whether you should eat food sacrificed to idols or not or what's the righteous response or not the righteous response. But if you don't ever take the righteous response, if you don't do the righteous response, then what do you have? You have a dead faith. The faith actually isn't alive. Oh, yes, you've been made alive in Christ. That part's true. But your living faith, the newness of life, right, the, the faith, the righteous faith, the holy faith, if there's no works to go along with it, if it's not, if it's not emanating into people's lives, then it's really just dead. It's really just dead. Jeff and I were talking the other day about how exciting it used to be when we first came to know Christ. And we were living the stuff out. We're learning and living and we're learning and doing and we're just loving people, praying for people. What's wrong? I'll pray for you. You know Jesus? You need to know Jesus. What? No, that's the wrong way. Here's the right way. Here's what God said to do. Remember that? A faith that is alive and vibrant is one that lives out and does holiness and righteousness. But it's also meant to happen in the midst of family. 
We started talking about that last week, that we have to help one another put on the newness. We have to help one another put on the new life. We'll have knowledge, yes, and we'll have our own works, yes, but we need to do it in the midst of family, holding one another up, teaching one another through the nuances, praying for one another. Remember, don't just let your brother walk away. If he needs something to drink, give him something to drink. But if we're not involved in one another's lives, we're not teaching, we're not helping one another grow up, we're not doing those things. You'll notice in your bulletin that we gave you a little list. I hope you'll take advantage of that list. It's called Gifted to Serve. I hope you'll do this. I really do. Remember we said that we're all gifted, and that giftedness is to help us grow up and mature in Christ? To do what? Put on the new life. It's to help us grow up and put on the new life. And we're all. Some are gifted with gifts of service and works. Some are gifted with gifts of teaching. And there's all sorts of different things. But we want you to be a part of it. And you notice I put all sorts of different things that happen around here. Children's ministry. One Sunday a month, that's all we're asking. That's all we're asking. And why do we need people to do children's ministry? Because we have to help them grow up and mature. We talked about last week. I don't really like children's ministry. I don't really care. If you have a gift, try using it there. If you have a gift that could help Shelly, help, help parents teach and nurture their kids about this new life in Christ that they can have, help them somehow. Shelly will help walk you through it. Student ministries. On Thursday, they're going to Hershey Park, man. How bad could that be? And you're like, really? Yeah, that's what it means to be a part of student ministries. We'll take you out of some park trips. Come on, whitewater rafting? Where do you want to go? We'll take you. It's like a tourist trap, right? We'll take you someplace and all of a sudden give you 15 middle schoolers. <laughs> gotcha. And then you get to spend the afternoon showing them how to put on the new life, demonstrating when your patients are being shy, demonstrating when somebody cheats you, demonstrating when somebody gives you too much change while you're in line, demonstrating it. You get to demonstrate it and teach it. Oh, that's a blessing. Maybe you're gifted for something like that. Office administration, doing phones and data entry and copying and general office assistance. You're like, how in the world? How does that help people know about Christ or grow up in Christ? How? Oh, man, they're collecting so much data, and they're telling us who to call, and they're, they're answering phone calls. They're helping people. They're doing so many things in there. Right now, there's eight, and we could use eight more in there. And guess what? Every time we serve in that capacity, those are less people we have to hire and more money that goes out into the kingdom and not here. What a blessing that is. Man, what about the worship team? Can you sing? Look, I can't. But I'll be on the team if you want me to. No, you don't. I know. How about the greeting team? I told you what happened the first time I showed up here. I asked somebody why they went to church here, and they said, because people are so ridiculously nice. Just shake somebody's hand and enjoy their company for a moment and let them know this is a place that they can fit in and sit in and be loved. That's a great thing. The life group leader, some of our local outreach ministries, some of our global ministries. What about Romania? Maybe it's time to go. But notice I put this line down there, something different. God has asked you to serve and equip the church in a different or new way that doesn't fit into one of the above areas. Hey, we don't want any square pegs and round holes. That's not what we want. So maybe God's asking you to do something different. Maybe God's asking you to serve in a different way. That's not on here. Write it down. Let us help equip you to equip the body of Christ. That newness. Let's put it on together and let's help one another. Fill this out. Put it in the thing. Take your Connect card where you wrote names of teachers down. And remember... It's a daily process. We have to take off the new. We're collaborating with God. 
He's shown us what righteousness and holiness is. We have to take off the old. It is grave clothes, and we don't live that way. We don't live in arrogance. We don't live with callousness, and we don't live in the midst of depravity. We live how? Holy and righteous lives. Our lives are to look like Christ. How is it that we go about doing that, right? The Lord reveals it to us, and we are learners. We do whatever it takes to learn. But then we're also co-laborers in it. So we learn and we do what God has taught us. And then we help one another get there. Father, thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for your body. Thank you that you didn't want us just to be raised to life. You wanted us to live a new life. We thank you for that. That you're willing to equip us and not just leave us floundering. You've given us your word to do just that. And you've given us this body to pour ourselves into. And you've given us the priesthood of believers. That we will be responsible for helping one another put on the newness of this life. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Please think about filling that out over the next two weeks. Be a part of what's going on here. Use your gifts. And uh, be amazing to see what happens. Have a great week, everybody.